to We Read the Book. I'm Adam. I'm Lois. And with us today we have our first special guest. This is Cam. Hello. Uh, cool. Today uh, we're going to be discussing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in book and movie form. Uh, and so the question of the week this week, uh, if you could restore Earth after its destruction with one aesthetic change, what would that change be, Lois? I'm going to say I would make it not so bloody hot in Australia because that's its one drawback is that it's like the surface of the sun. So, yeah, that would be my... Yeah. Cam? Um, I would cover all the sort of buildings in various leaves and trees, etc. Kind of integrate the cities back in with the forests and things would be good for... Climate change and also look really nice. That's a good idea. Uh, I think for my answer, I would uh, make uh, an extra form of weather and I would make it occasionally rain glitter. And that's just annoying for everyone, but pretty shiny and fun also. Uh, the worst kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's no environmental benefit to it raining glitter. It's probably yeah. actually bad for the We're environment. We're voting you off the island. <laughs> that's okay. I have glitter now. <laughs> I will uh, I'll exit with style. All right, we're going to move right in uh, to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Lois, why don't you give us the plot summary? Okay. Um, all right. Arthur Dent, an everyday human being, is trying to prevent his house from being demolished when his best friend, Ford Prefect, steals them away and beams them aboard the spaceship of the alien Vogons moments before the Vogons demolish the Earth. Ford reveals himself to be an alien, though one in human form, whose job it is to write articles for the eponymous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Vogons discover the duo and boot them into open space, but they are saved by the president of the universe, Zaphod Beeblebrox, and his stolen spaceship, the Heart of Gold. Accompanying Zaphod are the other last surviving human, Trillian, and a depressed robot called Marvin. The five go on a journey to find Magrathea, a planet known for selling luxury custom-built planets. Once there, they encounter the universe's second smartest computer, Deep Thought, who reveals it created Earth as a computer to calculate the question to which 42, the answer to life, the universe, and everything, is the answer to. Okay? Jillian's <laughs> <laughs> uh, pet mice then reveal themselves as ancient super beings who commissioned Deep Thought, and when they try to dissect Arthur's brain to extract information about the now-destroyed Earth, he is saved by Zaphod and the group to leave to find the restaurant at the end of the universe. Ta-da! <laughs> Obviously, I think the reason you're taking it back there is that there might be some differences between the book and the film. Yeah, I think I, I, think I got confused the saying the answer to life is the answer to. Confused That's myself. That's how they play there. it off. Yeah. So, so we've, both, we've both read the... We've all, all three of us have read the book and just yeah. watched the film. Yes. So the book is by Douglas Adams, for yes. those of you who don't know that. Um who is now passed away. And we watched the most recent film. Do you have the date of that? 2005. 2005. Yes. 2005. Um, I know there is an older movie and I TV think a BBC movie. TV series, but uh, yes, it was the 2005 movie that we watched with Martin Freeman, uh, Zoe Deschanel, Mustef, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Um, just a bunch of just, big names. Yeah. Lots of really British actors. Yeah. I worried David. Yeah, so um, what did you guys think? Uh, look, the book is like an all-time classic. Like, yeah. it's, it's a cult favourite, everyone knows. It's the original wacky sci-fi yeah. kind of thing. And it's, it's got that, I think the reason it's so popular is it has a real heart to it. 
Um, there's a, it's a, it's incredibly funny, but uh, Douglas Adams is like, you can see a lot of uh, his passion and stuff come out in the book. Yeah. Um, and it, they they pose some some philosophical questions and then explore them with humor and a bit of a reverence. Yeah. It's, uh, it just comes off really well. I mean, it's it, it it is a classic sci-fi story. Yeah. What I like about it is actually the overarching story itself is very simple. Basically, Arthur gets taken into space and then he's just along for the ride and you he's kind of the audience insert and he you're experiencing everything everything through him and it, it is quite simple but the twists and turns that it takes within that such as the the whole thing with the earth being the second computer and trillions mice being the beings that were commissioning the computer it you don't see them coming. It's just you, it's like one after another. You're sort of like, oh, wow, I would not have thought that that was what was going to happen. It is very original as yeah. far as those kind of stories go. Yeah. Um, so I really like the characterization in the movie for the most part. I thought it was a good choice. Uh, Ford Prefect was a good choice of most deaf. In the book, he's described as a uh, ginger. Warren Ginger, so he's definitely not that. Not the only um, aesthetic actor change we'll see. No. Yeah, so, um, you know, good on the movie for choosing a person of colour for that role because, you know, it didn't have to be a white person. That's really good. But, yeah, as Adam just alluded to, uh, Trillian was supposed to be uh, dark, we think probably Middle Eastern, something like that, and is played by the whitest of white ladies, Zoe Deschanel, so... I think she was the worst casting decision they made on, on that team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd have to agree. I find Zoe Deschanel annoying the yeah. rest of times. That's fair. Um, I yeah. quite like her new girl, but that's about the only thing we've ever seen that I've really liked her in. Um, I was saying to the guys when we were watching the movie, the bit where they're eating the feast, the... Um, Zaphod and Ford are stuffing their faces and, like, being messy, and she's still being cute, just kind of nibbling at a strawberry, and it's like, come on, like, you're supposed to be under the thrall of this feast and stuffing yourself, and you're still being cutesy. It's just kind of... I just find it fake, so I, I just find it annoying. To be honest, the, the whole movie dealt with her in a less-than-stellar way. Um, yeah. In terms of her sort of characterization In the novel, she's very... Kind of with it and competent by herself, but well, she's a one, she's a astrophysicist, yeah. isn't she? And in this one, she's oh, I've been kidnapped, and now yeah. the guys have to come and save me. And yeah, yeah. There's a. I mean, I'll, 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 we'll get to that later. I'll, I also want to talk about the casting, which I think is fantastic, uh, top to bottom. With with that that being the biggest exception, um, uh, Martin Freeman plays a pretty competent Arthur Dent. Uh, he's a pretty good everyman. Um, and, and really suits that role. Mm-hmm. He gets very easily frustrated and, uh, and, and he's likable enough as yeah. Arthur. What I like about Martin Freeman, he's very good at being British, <laughs> which um, I really liked him in this role and was another reason I really liked him as Bilbo Baggins was that um, hobbits are quintessentially British and I really I just thought he did a stellar job there, um, just bringing another book adaptation. Um, yeah, I thought he did a really good job with what he was given, we were saying before, yep. you know, um, I, I don't think the writing of his character was super great, but I think in terms of his acting, it was it was good. And then uh, you've got uh, Zaphod Beeblerocks portrayed by Sam Rockwell in the mm-hmm. movie. Perfect, perfect choice, I think. Yeah, yeah he suits that very um, grating, aggravating character that, uh, that Zaphod is not yeah. entirely there. 
Yeah, definitely not entirely. Definitely not yeah. Um, and then uh, the fifth member of the spaceship, uh, the depressed robot Marvin, played by the now late Alan Rickman, who sees the voice perfectly. Yeah, yeah. classic. I think that was uh, probably my favourite casting in the movie. Um, Marvin's really funny and always, um, well, in this movie is the uh, deus ex machina at the end. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, Marvin was really, really well cast here. Yeah, I think also, and one might mention as well for Bill Nye as Slatty Bartfast, who who is perfect, like right on point for that role. Yeah, um, slightly kind of wacky and and not entirely sure of what he's doing, but also yeah, 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 very uh, so so good job on for the casting team on this film. Uh, let's get into the film uh, itself, and 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 maybe I think so. Like I'd like to talk about the plot in particular because the book and the movie have have quite a significant deviation. Uh, the movie. Ted takes basically a detour in the middle and uh, travels to two planets, uh, which the book does not take it to. Is that yeah. that's correct? Correct. Um, I personally think it's an unnecessary deviation. Mm. They've added a completely new character, uh, Hama Kavula, played by John Malkovich, which um, doesn't really serve to further much plot or. Um, really have well, the only plot line that it really furthers because it sends them. So he sends them to get the point of view gun. And the only thing that the point of view gun serves is to further um, Trillian's feelings for Arthur, which we all have strong thoughts about. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't really do anything for for the movie because, I mean, technically you could say that, what was his name? Ha- um, Hamakavula. Hamakavula had, um, had the coordinates for Magrathea, but in the book, Thayford already had the co- coordinates, so... You know, you didn't need to add that. I mean, I suppose it did get the Vogons in as more of a presence because they tracked them to that planet. And I think I didn't mind the continuing arc with the Vogons in the movie. I thought yeah. having them, you needed to have, you needed a, to have present, a, consistent, a consistent present villain because it's a movie. Yeah. Which um, the book doesn't actually feature the Vogons once once they're yeah, uh, exactly. off the ship, they never reappear. Yeah, so I think... Because you, and then, you know, you slide in the mice at the end as the villain, but, you know, to have, to have them go there and have the Vogons track them there is just another way that they sort of flesh the movie out a little bit. Um, I know that them going to the Vogon planet does feature in one of the later books in the Hitchhiker's Guide series. Um, I remember that from reading them from a long time ago. Um, so they were taking, in that instance, they were taking something from a later book. I don't remember why they go there. I don't remember whether they were actually rescuing Trillian or not. But I seem to recall that, yeah, there was a description of Vogon Planet. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. But it, it just, as we were saying, it made Trillian very much the damsel in distress, which she isn't in the books, which is just frustrating. Especially as she's the only woman. The <laughs> only know? other female character in this movie. Yeah disliked Trillian because of a man, mm. which yeah. I found a little bit problematic. And, like, basically said, oh, she's skinny and pretty. pretty. It's like... And that's the only line she ever refers to yeah. as. And, uh, a woman not really, hating on another woman is the only... There's just no reason for the interaction between... There's no reason for that character to exist at yeah. all, really, other than to be a human face, which is kind of in in league with the Vogons. Yeah. Um, and then and also she seems to like Zaphod, which... It's just an unnecessary addition, like basically just making a woman character just to 
done on a man, which is always fun for me watching movies. So yeah, I I th I think for a movie you have to add elements, especially because a lot of the Hitchhiker's book is um the narration. Yeah, it's a lot of it is puns and things being dropped in that was were suggested three chapters ago. You know, that's like a throwaway line three chapters ago, and then it comes back and it's actually a actually a plot point. Yeah. Um, and that's re that's a really hard thing to adapt to film. So you have to take the physical elements and stretch them out. So I don't know. I kind of forgive them a little bit, but. I don't like that basically the added plot was just basically to get the two main characters together. Yeah, I sense, Cam, you agree with me that the, the narration uh, is a big part of the book and the narration takes the form of entries in the Hitchhiker's Guide yeah. to the Galaxy. Which is the uh, the seventh cast, almost seventh person in the spaceship, uh, Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry. The, voice yeah. the, the guide, uh, also an excellent casting choice. Yeah. And the animation for it, that, that's one thing that the movie does really well is animate those little segments yes. of narration which they do put into the film. But there's so many more that they don't include, which which are featured in the book. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you can't have a half animated film discussing that. Uh, but it does kind of leave that that void of, of what do you fit in here. But I, I think there's probably something that they could have done better in the adaptation, which did not involve uh, the big two planet detour to save Trillion. My main problem with it is that they kind of smashed through the first twenty minutes of the movie tried to get through as much plot as they could so that they could tack in these unnecessary additions, which didn't really serve to add anything. So they could have fleshed out a bit more of the the sort of adventures. Yeah, I'd agree with on. that. Or they could have started going into Restaurant at the End of the Universe. They could have actually done two books in one movie and sort of stretched it out that way rather than adding something in that wasn't ever meant to be there. And it's not like they haven't done that, because there are elements from, from a couple of the books here, the yeah. dolphins, which, which open the film, uh, taken from So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which and they don't feature at all in the original yeah. first novel. There's so much material with the Hitchhiker's Guide series that you'd think they would maybe... And it is confusing, because there are time elements in the Hitchhiker's Guide series. They do go back and forward in time. But if they really wanted to add extra material, they could have just taken stuff from other books that actually happened chronologically in the first book and put them in where they happened chronologically. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's it yeah, it's just weird. I sense there's there's two things for that. And one is in movie making these days you can't make one without thinking about what is there going to be a sequel. Mm. So that's maybe the reason that they've elected not to take a chunk of plot away from another book. And the second thing is that a lot of the stuff that was put in here, which was not featured in the books, was ideas by Douglas Adams, who yeah. was involved in writing the screenplay for this um, yeah. and died before production began. Uh, but a lot of the original ideas uh, are credited to him by people who have researched the uh, the film. And uh, and so it, he, I guess he does, it's not as in, it, it was not something that wasn't in his spirit for the film. Yeah. But nonetheless, no matter who it came from, it doesn't really suit it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you can definitely see the difference in um, Douglas Adams' writing as time goes on, especially in the Hitchhiker's Guide series itself. So the stuff that he sort of came up with in his later life isn't necessarily the stuff that would agree with the way he wrote the books when he first started writing them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so shall we talk about the romance then? Yes. <laughs> so my one of my main problems with the 
and this is to do with the romance, one of my main problems with the characterization of Arthur Dent is that basically he spends the movie being a nice guy. He, he has the attitude that he was chatting to Trillian and being nice and, you know, pleasant and polite and whatever. And so she owed him something for that. And he's pissed off at her for going with Zaphod, who offered her what she wanted, which was to go traveling and see other places. And she's made to feel guilty for that. And she sort of has the realization at the end that she was wrong. And that really, really ticks me off. Yeah. Because that behavior does not deserve to be rewarded. In no sense does should she owe him anything because he sat and chatted to her at a party. I mean, it's just it's just gross. It's gross. And one day we'll be a product of a bygone era. But... Yeah. Well, yeah, I just... I don't think that that... I didn't get that sense in the book. When he was saying he was disappointed that she'd gone off at the party, it was more, yeah, that he was disappointed. It wasn't that he was blaming her. And I think that's where the movie really misstepped. Of course he's allowed to be disappointed that he stuffed it up with her. That's that's fine. That's human. But the where the movie takes it is just inappropriate, I think, and weird. The fault is in the script. Yeah. We should point out. I should point out. It's, I it's, there's nothing to do with it. I mean, Martin Freeman can only act to what, what he's written. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, and, and so what you're saying there is obvious because they're writing that disappointment in because they create this artificial trillion Arthur romance, which ends up, which in the climax of the movie, instead of where, where the mice just discover the, um, the ultimate question on their own as they're all trapped at the table... In this one, he's the one who suggests it. And then he goes into this monologue about how uh, the only question he wants answers is whether Trillian is the one. And it's just out of nowhere. Yeah. It doesn't fit anything. It's yeah. really unsuited. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a uh, sort of decision by committee type thing where they sat around the table at the production meeting and were like, okay, how can we make people... Uh, they, they want to fit it to a, the Hollywood mold of this has to have a nice sweet ending for the type of film that it is, and it did, but it doesn't fit with the book that Douglas Adams wrote, not at all. And I don't know what he would have done about it, particularly looking on it. I don't, all the time, you don't really have a tremendous amount of say in it as the writer of the book. Yeah, um, but but it just but yeah, as you were for saying, me, it doesn't he did fit. have he did have input on this screenplay, so we don't know. Maybe he maybe he thought that it was a good idea, so we don't know. Yeah, I mean, the movie was released in 2005 and he died in 2001, so there may have been some pretty sweeping changes since yeah. then, but who knows? Yeah. Well, the casting basically totally changed between the time that he died and because there was, there was a, a potential cast, including Jim Carrey uh, and That Tim, would have been horrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he was intended to play Beeble Rocks uh, oh, at the time. Okay. Yeah. All right. That might have been all right. <laughs> Jim Carrey as Arthur Dent. <laughs> Rob Schneider as uh, Trillian. <laughs> Interesting uh, early casting choice for this is when they were first considering throwing around the movie, um, Tim Roth was uh, down to play Arthur Dent before he was a known actor. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a I little can. factoid for you. Yeah, no, uh, Arthur Trillian romance not for me, in summary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just that whole thing. There's only so much we can say about it, and I think we've said it. And the thing is that it interrupts this wonderful sequence, which I do want to talk about from, from the movie, that... that does adapt from the book really well, which is the, the, the Magrathea sequence. And basically, as soon as they get up, they, as soon as they get over this artificial plot, uh, addition that they've added with the lose trillion, say trillion, uh, two planet journey, 
they do eventually arrive at Magrathea, which does then mostly tune into the the book. Yeah. Um, and as soon as they get on that spaceship and they approach Magrathea, you, that's when I felt like I was in yeah. uh, the novel. Or the yeah, because that Magrathea bit in the novel is probably a good third of the novel, if not closer to a half. Mm. Um, and it's really swept over in the last half an hour. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say they smash through stuff in the start so that they could have more time and then all of a sudden they... They use the time on something that wasn't yeah. in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked that bit. I think the bit you're alluding to is the um, the factory floor. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. as soon as as soon as uh, Slady Barkfast takes him through into the uh, the inner workings of Magrathea, it's just fantastic. The uh, I've got to give credit to the uh, the CGI people on this. Oh yeah, visually because it is an amazing viewpoint. And I think Arthur gives this uh, Mark Freeman gives this up face, which is utter astonishment and and wonder and awe as yeah. soon as he's in there. And, and I really like, felt that from the CGI. Yeah, he looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, a really good reaction. I really liked that bit. Um, and, you know, this movie was made in 2005, and it, it holds up, the, mm. the CGI. Now, thinking about it, the movie is visually quite... The whole well, thing is very, very yeah, well realised. The yeah. Vogon ships have a very clear identity. Yeah. Everything is visually pretty good. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the zaniness and fun of, of the novel, even the section where they're... In one of the bits they've added, where they're running across the desert, and there's these anti-thought spades <laughs> shooting through the ground to hit them in the face as yeah. they run maniacally yeah. across the floor. It's, it's very amusing, uh, but the whole film is wonderfully realised visually, um, and and that factory floor sequence is is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I really liked um, the animation. I really liked the whale voiced by Bill Bailey. Um, <laughs> we we were all wondering who that was, and yeah, we. I was like, oh, is it that Bill Bailey? It was. So, um, yeah. That's just, always been one of my favourite sections from the book. And I, yeah. and when I watched the movie, it was all, it's still one of my favourite sections. And that they kept the it movie. in. Yeah. Yeah. It's so silly. It's so quintessentially it, Douglas it Adams. Yeah. The sort of hitchhiker's moment that you think of. Yeah. Like, I could have a whale and a bowl of petunias on a t shirt and people would immediately know what Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, actually a great idea for a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. The Vogons. Trademark, trademark, trademark. <laughs> the Vogons, also like part of that, uh, really well realized. The costuming for them is, is pretty good. Very well done. Like their face is somewhat emotional despite being puppets, um, and yeah. despite sort of not having emotions. They're really. all dressed in these like oversized, shoddy, hunchback human suits as well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Okay. Uh, the ship designs, all of them square. In the inside bits of anything that protrudes, square, square, square. They've really yeah. kept a theme and, and done a great job of visually designing this. Are they Jim Henson puppets? Do we know? I would not have the information on that at I this point. Oh yeah, uh, that would be an interesting thing to find out. Mm. I have. I don't remember reading his name anywhere in conjunction yeah. with it. So whoever's done it, it's but big yeah, props. they're really they're really good. Literally big props. Um. <laughs> Oh my god, shut up. <laughs> yes, it was the Henson Creature Shop. Oh, okay. there you go. Awesome. Does anyone else do puppets yeah. for, for major motion yeah. pictures these but days? They, they look, Hen- that's what I was thinking, they look Henson-ish. They, mm. they read like Henson puppets. Um, the, the other thing I want to say just overall about the book and the movie is I think this is one of those things, because I remember there was it was one of those movie adaptations that there was a lot of irritated fans but I think with Hitchhiker's Guide, the beauty of it is that there are so many iterations. It doesn't matter if they change things at the end of the day. 
it's always being adapted. It's adapted for TV. It's adapted for other movies. It's adapted for radio. It's always being adapted. Yep. So I think in this, in that, in terms of that, it doesn't really matter what they do with the the subject matter because it's not it's not the Hunger Games where there's one adaptation and if they get something wrong, then you know, well, they got it wrong. Um, it's yeah, it's a little bit. It's got its own history of being adapted. So by I think, virtue of sort of being co-written as a radio show and a book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I think there's plenty of while well, this film's I'm aware it's got plenty of detractors. Like I I've never thought it's a it's not a fantastic top yeah. three film of mine by any means, but but it's enjoyable. I mean, I was quite I was quite looking forward to coming back and watching it for this podcast, yeah, and, and I did. It's funny. It's the comic timing of the film very well done. It's just it's good acting. It looks really good. The comic timing's great. It's just that the script is a little bit lacking. Yeah. Yeah. And I sense that's where a lot of frustration comes in, is in that middle chunk, which just confuses and slows the plot of the original book. And that's where I think a lot of the fans who, who would complain about an adaptation not being particularly faithful yeah. uh, might have their biggest issues. And that's where we've had our biggest issues, I think. And, um, I mean, you know, you know, you know, if you find me a, a movie that it's a hundred percent faithful adaptation of a book, like I'll eat my hat and everyone else's hat. Okay, well, <laughs> we're going to hold you to that. Okay, <laughs> I'm really hoping there's not. Um, I'm going to find that movie. <laughs> <That's a lot laughs> but um, but yeah, like I, I, I agree with you, Lars. I think it's a um, it, it's a good adapt- adaptation yeah. overall. Um, it's acceptable. Yeah, definitely. Except I think it's, I'd even say it's, it's more than acceptable. I think it's a good adaptation. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of the movie status has kind of followed the status of the book. Like I think it's almost a little cult movie. You know, yeah. like, they spent a bit of money on this film, not a tremendous amount, but I'm pretty sure it made a, it made a decent profit at the box yeah. office. And I think um, it it will be something that's kind of looked fondly back on as, as yeah. a little quirky, amusing movie. Yeah. Upon rereading the book for this. Um, Podcast. I actually had a couple of similar issues with the books in yeah. that they're kind of a little bit whimsical for the sake of being whimsical sometimes, which can get a little bit grating after a while. I know that that's Douglas Adams' sort of trademark thing, but there are instances where you almost feel like he was thinking, how can I make this as weird as I can? So for me, rereading the books, they don't sort of hold up to the exalted status that uh, I used to put them on because I read them when I was very young and I think a lot of people kind of grew up with them so they might hold them uh, in that sort of sacred realm where anything that changes about them can be um, yeah I'd agree with that not good yeah but upon rereading with a sort of critical eye for this I did notice that they aren't as flawless as um, as one would expect, so uh, you can't expect a movie to be as, as no, perfect as no, you. No, I agree. And I think, and, and I, I'd agree with that. And I think the the important thing for fans is not that they're the, even the, the books are flaws, but that they're loved, mm-hmm. that they have a, a style that's kind of unlike anything else yeah. that was mm-hmm. out around the time, uh, and, and that's why they hold up today as as pretty good books and, yeah. and funny sci-fi, which is not particularly common in yeah. in novelized novelized. Start getting a bit. Hectic towards the end of the the series. I don't know if you guys have read them. Yeah, I have. I have not read the books in in quite a while. Yeah, they stop being so funny and start being a little bit depressing. Well, (laughs) I imagine imagine that because I enjoyed reading the first book for this again and then started reading the second, didn't finish at time time constraints, but uh, I can imagine that five books probably gets on a bit and five hours of the audiobook actually got on a bit for me um, 
for, of, of just the original. Well, I understand that Douglas Adams was suffering from some pretty heavy depression as he started writing the, writing the later books, so um, that definitely comes through in them. Has anyone read the Owen Colfer? I was just about to ask that question. No, no I have not, but I would really like to because I love Artemis Fowl, and it's a fantastic it book series. It is a very good um, addition to the... Yeah, I've heard stage. that. It's, um, he, he definitely captures the Douglas Adams kind of voice... Um, while still maintaining his own unique kind of twist on things. Yep. Um, it's not a necessary addition by any means, I don't think, but it's it's definitely enjoyable. So, thumbs up or down for the book, Cam? Uh, definitely a thumbs up. Okay. Absolutely. And what about the movie? Uh, I will give it a thumbs up as well. Um, I'm I'm torn between saying read the book first or... Just saying, go ahead and watch the movie and then read the book if you enjoy it. As someone who read the book way, way before I saw the movie, I have no idea what it would be like to someone who would watch the movie first, but I think it's watchable. Um, And I think standing alone, it's probably pretty good. I mean, it carries that uniqueness, that kind of unique flavor that the book has. Um, So it's only when you start comparing it to the book that you're a bit like, "Mm," about some things, but... I think it stands up pretty well on its own. I'd say give it a watch. So I actually saw the movie in 2005 before I had read wow. the books. Really? So, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I read the books probably in 2010. Um, probably that was around the time. This movie's 11 years old. Yeah, I know. Shut up. Stop it. <laughs> <We're so old>. um, <laughs> uh, the I And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just like amazing and refreshing and funny and... But then when I read the books, I thought, oh, yeah, well, obviously it is because of the source material. So I would say definitely thumbs up for the book. And if you feel like it, going through the other ones as well, because there's a real overarching storyline there. They're all really interconnected. And I'd really recommend that. And I'll give a thumbs up to the movie. Um, I think it is fairly good. It has its flaws, but um, it's definitely watchable. Yeah. uh, The book. It, it's if anyone is real, unless you're a, a non-sci-fi fan and I know someone with zero sense of humour, you're going to find it hard to to not recommend this movie. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a record, like a, a thumbs up for me. Very enjoyable, very witty, and and for its time was is a pioneer in like sci-fi humour yeah. in book form. Um, and I think that translates well enough to the movie that I'm also going to give that a, a thumbs up. It's not a classic film. Um, but it's definitely not trash. It's very watchable. I think kids would find it uh, really funny and a really good entry into uh, yeah. into like sci-fi if, if that's something that you want to... Yeah, without dropping the heavy stuff on them immediately. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no galactic space wars, um, star events uh, sort of thing. Yeah, that uh, class- but I really class- like that movie. Yeah, galactic star space events. Wars, galactic star space events. wars, star events. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the new That was with um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yeah? Yes, yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. That's two and two, two for Dwayne two and Johnson. Two. Two two. It's podcast. a theme. It's a theme when we're officially doing Dwayne The Rock Johnson cast <laughs> and making it our new goal. Yeah. So I think we're going to talk about what we've been consuming lately, hey? Uh, yeah. Okay. What are you been into, boss? Um, I'm reading Theft by Peter Carey, which is... Um, it's kind of an odd book. I'm not sure I'll be able to explain it, but it's basically it's an Australian book Genre. about um, adult fiction. <laughs> I mean, adult fiction? No, not sexy times fiction. Oh, okay. My father's it's, interested now. <laughs> um, it's about a guy who 
uh, is an artist and looks after his uh, mentally disabled brother and has just recently got divorced and is basically just not a very, actually not a very nice guy. It's just about him. Yeah, so I'm reading that. I'm really enjoying it. I I think Peter Carey's a really good writer, um, but it's one of those books you have to really yep. sit down and read. You can't be distracted while you're reading it. Um, and I recently watched Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. How did you find that, Lois? I really liked it. Um, <laughs> the title of that just makes me think I would not yeah, even no, slightly. hear me out. Um, <laughs> um, it's been on my list to watch for a while. Someone I read the blog of said that it was really good. I said it was unexpectedly really good. And I, so I thought, oh, I'll give it a chance. It's, it's a really funny, um, it's schlock horror, which I really always enjoy. I find <laughs> schlock horror really hilarious. Um, so lots of exploding heads and, you know, gore and it's just really funny. Um, like Kingsman style exploding heads? Sort of uh, stuff? yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's gross. But the thing that I really liked about it was, um, it is mostly women on the cast. Um, obviously, you have Jeremy Renner as Hansel, um, and you have oh, I'm going to forget her name, Gemma, Gemma Arterton. Arterton. Yes, that's right, as um, Gretel. But because they're hunting witches, all the witches are women, and most of the dialogue is between women because um, Hansel actually takes a back seat. It's Gretel that's the main character, really. And do the witches talk about something other than men? <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's no. So the Bechdel test is all. Good. Yeah, it's it's re- it's just a, it's a super feminist movie basically. Gretel doesn't have a romance, which is just so refreshing. Um, Hansel does, but it's really just a very minor thing. Um, it's not really focused on at all. Uh, but there's other love there. There's friendship and there's brother sisterly love, and it's just I just really, really enjoyed it because I didn't have all of those usual things where, like, no women get to do anything cool or say anything cool or, you know, all they talk about is their boyfriends, you know, and, you know, Gretel's not a damsel in distress. I just, I honestly, is it the best movie ever? No, definitely not. But it is definitely worth a watch and I would give it maybe... I think on uh, Letterboxd, I gave it about four stars because I really, really enjoyed it. I had a really good time watching it. So definite recommendation from me. If you hate it, I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. How about you, Cam? Um, I have been reading uh, the book Were, spelled W-A-E-R, as in Werewolves, by uh, Perth author Meg Caddy. Um, It's pretty good. Uh, she's a young author who's been working on this one for quite a few years. It came out earlier this year. It's very well written, kind of evocative and emotional language. It's not particularly audacious in terms of originality, but it's very hard to be startlingly original when it comes to sort of fantasy and 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 that lately. But um, yeah, I recommend it. It's actually a really good book. And anything visually? I haven't really been watching much recently. The last sort of thing I really got through was a lot of um, Star Trek Next Generation, which is another classic sort of 80s sci-fi thing, um, very different from Hitchhikers, obviously, um, which I just recommend everyone watch everything Star Trek-related. Am I yep. right? They're, re- they're, I they're doing a reboot of the TV show, is that...? Uh, they're doing, no, they're doing a new series. New series, new series, series. Yeah. Entirely unconnected to everything, which is great because um, the... Well, not entirely unconnected. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, the Star Trek universe is very well-developed and very... Um, from the start, they were very much about 
um, what humanity could be in the future when yeah. we all start working together and exploration and sort of um, compassion and everything, which yeah. is kind of what I'm all about. So I think it should be on everyone's recommended watching list. I agree. Cool. Um, I've been reading, uh, I've been delving into comics for the last couple of weeks. I've been reading uh, Ms. Marvel uh, with Kamala Khan, uh, which is awesome. And I, I'm really hoping that, you know, in this world of comic book movies, this is going to be one of them that comes out uh, eventually. I know they have a Captain Marvel movie slated to appear in the MCU sometime around 2018, 2019. So it's probably not going to come in the next five years or so, but eventually, man, this would be huge for movies to have a um, a Muslim American uh, character appearing as a superhero uh, as a, a young girl, uh, yeah, as a yeah. lead. Like that'd be phenomenal. So um, the comics amazing. There's only 19 issues out at the moment, but I'm actually thinking for the first time ever, I might go and like buy a series of physical, touchable, tangible oh, comics, which is something I've never done. Um, I've I've read plenty of digital. But not not in not in real tangible form. So that's yeah. uh, something I'm definitely thinking about because that's got me excited. Yeah. And uh, I've been going back on Netflix and watching The Matrix, believe it or not, um, yeah. as a throwback. You're in the Matrix, film. honestly. <laughs> the uh, Wachowski sisters have now both come out as, yeah. as trans. I was not aware of that. Yeah. Wow, that's news. Did you miss that? I definitely missed oh, yeah. that. Uh, Lily Wachowski came out as trans, which um, is really good. I'm, but I am sad for her if she spent all this time. You know, not being out, but I'm I'm happy if she yeah. she feels she can be now. It's yeah, good. it's good. good. I mean, any any time is better than no time. Yeah, of course, but you know. Well, regardless, of the uh, the Matrix itself like holds up. Yeah, I've done, but I, I must admit, I'm only seeing the first one at the moment. I have my own yeah. opinions on the there's, second two, which Adam, are probably more positive than anyone else. There's only one Matrix movie. What are you what are you talking about? That's, yeah, that's yeah. an incorrect fact. Both of you are wrong. The Matrix and <laughs> uh, the Matrix, and that's it. Right? But the Matrix itself is still uh, a fantastic movie. CGI, you can tell it's a little old now, back from 1999. That was incredible. But and and still, look, still, I'm, no one's really going to complain about it today. The bullet time, the uh, the fights. Uh, all fantastic and um, Keanu Reeves definitely a watershed movie in terms of sort of visual effects and yeah definitely food. started the like a massive like vision, CGI blockbuster yeah um, decade really and yeah. it's continuing now so that's what I'm uh, into at the moment yep that's all that's everything yeah We're done cool uh, you can find us and contact us at wereadthebook at gmail.com and on twitter at readthebookpod and you can subscribe to us on iTunes and we'll appear magically in your ears. Woo! Uh, noodles, we'd love you to give us a rating noodles, and a review noodles. as well so other people can find us and enjoy uh, our podcast. Our beautiful voices. Just yeah. waffling on about... Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you. And for next time, I'm Lois Hoopy Fruit Mitchell. I am the Cam Galactic Goggle Blaster. And with an improbability factor of 8,229,326 to 1, I'm Adam Heap. So glad that's on record. Fuck you. Please include that in the. uh, Fuck you. There's going to be a blooper section at the end of every pod. See you next week.